welcome to the Awakening Church podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. Uh, this morning, we're beginning a brand new series called The Road Less Traveled. And we're actually finishing up uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. The next three weeks, we'll be finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, for those who've been with us since January, we've actually spent the last six months, now going on seven, journeying in Jesus' greatest teaching, his greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. It's where Jesus teaches us what does the flourishing life really look like? Um, how do you live in the kingdom of God? And so I wanted to give you just a little review of where we've been via our series. And so we began in December with the series Bless Up uh, and through the Beatitudes and just talked about, you know, Jesus reframing of who is actually blessed and what does it mean to be blessed. And then he moves on to salt and light and this idea that those people who are truly blessed or that live in this blessed life are actually salt and light. They make an impact with their life. And we taught the series Salt and Life through the... Um, through January, and then we talked about, well, what does it look like to actually be salt and light, to be a person of impact and to make a difference? And we spent a number of weeks on controversial Jesus and said there's some things that are going to be countercultural about the way that you go about life, life in the kingdom, the flourishing life, and what does that look like, and how do we live out the way of Jesus? Well, then you might be asking, well, okay, how do I actually go about doing that? And Jesus transitions to these sacred rhythms uh, that we engage and go about that, that help produce this flourishing life in us. And we built up to that uh, right before the Easter season. And then you're going like, okay, but still there's all these pressures and worries and strains on my life. What do I do with them? And Jesus talks all about our anxieties and worries. And we did this series, Anxious. And now he's coming down to the close of, okay, the rubber meets the roads. He's landing the plane of his sermon and saying, okay, now would you engage in this pathway in this life? Would you join me on this road less traveled. And so before we dive in, would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you that we get to gather and we get to declare your name. We get to come and sit under uh, your word and learn. I, I ask in this moment that you would speak so clearly to our hearts to our minds, that, that there would be a moment where we respond to your word actively. And God, you would make us a people who are flourishing in the Silicon Valley for your namesake and your glory, that we'd see this city experience an awakening in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Um, 2008, I was watching the Golden Globes. I remember this because I don't watch these things. I'm, I can't even remember why we were watching it. And John Lasseter gets up as he's receiving an award. He's the creative genius, if you don't know, behind the Pixar animation studios, behind Toy Story and behind Cars. And at that stage in my life, those were the only movies I actually got to watch with little kids. 
he gets up, and as he's receiving the award for Cars, the, it's the best animated motion picture of the year in the Golden Globes, he says this line, and it stuck out with me, and I wrote it down in the moment. He said this, this movie is about a very important lesson. How many of you knew that Cars was about a very important lesson? You thought it and watched, no, it's about talking cars. It's fantastic, it's engaging, but no, there's more to it. And he says this, that life is all about the journey, not the destination. The minute I heard him say that, I had to write it down. Life is all about the journey, not the destination. You see, in our culture, in our day, this is more than a mantra, something we say. This is actually a philosophical ideology that is embedded into the very fabric of our Western society. Life, we would say this, is all about the experiences you have. It's about your desires. Life is fundamentally centered on your happiness. And so we say things like, do what makes you feel good. At the root, it's actually recycled Epicureanism. It's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow will die. It's hedonism. It's pleasure is the ultimate good. Happiness is what life is about. And as a result, there is no destination, no ultimate meaning, only your experience. There's no God. There's no final outcome. So listen, live your best life. Discover your true self. And anything, by the way, anything, anything that hinders your happiness, your pleasure, is sin. Now, the problem with this, life is all about the journey, not the destination. The problem is there's this inherent tension within the philosophy, isn't there? You don't have to think about it very long to know it, and you feel it, we sense it, because every journey takes us somewhere, doesn't it? Whether intentionally or accidentally, if you're on a journey, you're going to end up somewhere. And like, don't worry about where you end up. Here's the, here's the tension. We've all experienced destinations that, that are painful, destinations that seem to hit us out of nowhere. We've all experienced relational destinations, haven't we? Life's all about the journey, not the destination, until the destination is divorce. Life's all about the journey, not the destination, until the destination's loneliness, heartache, until the destination's the betrayal of a friend. And we feel this tension in another way in our culture and what we say as well. It's just you hear it in our verbiage. We say things like, well, life just didn't turn out the way I thought it would. Or how could they not see it coming? I mean, they're talking like they're blindsided. How could they not see it coming? Well, life's all about the journey. How could you see it coming? Or say they're headed down the wrong path. And as we close out in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually talks to this tension that we feel. And what he's going to say is there's a better way not only to do life, but also to view life. 
There's a better way or path or road to do life, and there's a better way to view or a philosophy to embrace about life. He's going to say there's a golden rule, there's a better way to do life, and there's a narrow gate, a better way to view life. And to set up where Jesus is going, he's going to say something that fundamentally, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, Christian or not, you would agree with. He's going to say something that's going to bring uh, to light this, this reality that we would naturally agree, okay, not every path is a good path, and that we cannot just simply do life however we want to do life. If you got your Bibles, would you open up to Matthew chapter 7, verse 12? Jesus says this, so, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophet. If you want to take some notes, you can just circle that word so there and right above it, therefore. In the Greek, it's not translated here. It said, therefore. Uh, it's therefore in everything. Meaning, uh, when we look at it and we do some basic Bible study skills, you have a therefore, you should ask this question, what is it? Anybody know? Therefore, therefore yeah, you look backwards. This is Jesus summarizing the entire Sermon on the Mount. This is his big idea for the sermon. He's saying the entirety of the sermon can be written down into a single sentence. If you want a pocketable to-go version, here you go. Therefore, in everything, it, it, it means everything, every area of life, every moment of life, wherever you go, whatever you do, all that's happening around you. Therefore, in everything, then he's going to say something that we know as the golden rule. There's some legend around why we call it the golden rule. I wish I had time to unpack it, but it really takes us nowhere, so you can look that up on your own. You're like, what is that? People are like looking up during the sermon. Please don't do that. <laughs> the golden rule, what would you have, do to others what you would have them do to you? Like there's no law that can stand against this. We wouldn't need any laws if you would simply do to others what you would have them do to you. Now, Jesus wasn't the first to have an idea like this, but he was the first to state it like this. There's this common phrase that was used in multiple religions and even in Judaism at the time. And it was said earlier by one of the famous rabbis, Rabbi Hillel. He would, it was always done in the negative. And Rabbi Hillel says this, do not do to others what is hateful to you. Don't give the hate to others what, that you don't want to receive for yourself. It's in the negative. And everywhere you see this in ancient literature, it is always in the negative. And it's a good thing. Don't kill people if you don't want them to kill you. Right? Don't steal from people the way you wouldn't want them to steal from you. It's, it's a good, but it's all passive. It's all about what you don't do. It requires nothing of you just for you not to do something. Jesus is the first person in history who states this in the positive. Instead of do not do, he says, do unto others what you would have them 
do to you. This is calling you into this active. It's calling you deeper. Think about it. I want to be treated with respect. And so I will treat and give you respect. I'll give you the respect I want to be treated with. I want to be given the benefit of the doubt. I want you to, to give me the benefit of the doubt. And so I am actually proactively going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I want. I want you to have my best interest in mind. Isn't, don't you wish that people had your best interest in mind? And so I'm going to always have your best interest in mind. I want you to be generous with me. I want you to be gracious with me. I want you to be love-filled with me. And so I'm going to be gracious to you. I'm going to be generous to you. I'm going to be love-filled with you. The same way I would want you to treat me, I'm going to treat you. Another word I'd love for you to circle in your notes there is, do unto others what you would have them. Some of your translations say it a little differently. Notice that it doesn't say, do unto others the way you treat yourself. Some of you don't treat yourself very well. And, but you know how you want others to treat you. And he says, that's the way you're to treat others. Now imagine. Imagine if we all did this. Think about the world we live in if every single person on this planet did for the other person what they wish they would do for themselves. We wouldn't have this. We wouldn't have the guy that was standing in front of me at the 10-item lane in the grocery store with 20 items. <laughs> they had the audacity to break it up into two different things and pay for it twice. Oh, boy. We wouldn't have, think about this, we wouldn't have somebody speeding up on us the minute we put our signal on. <laughs> we wouldn't have any, uh, we wouldn't have any social media shaming. Like the internet would be an incredibly generous place to present your ideas and thoughts because people would respond the way you would want them to respond to that video, not the way they would. We would never cheat another human being on the planet. There would be no texting and driving, by the way. It would be gone. It would be eliminated. Because we would never want anyone else to text and drive when we drive. And so we would never do it for them, no matter how good our excuse is in the moment. We would go out of our way for other people all the time. Imagine that type of world. Now, here's what I want you to do in your notes. Right next to so and everything, the golden rule, would you write the word path? This is Jesus' better way to do life. This is the flourishing life. You want a truly flourishing life? He doesn't say, do you. He says, do to others what you wish they would do to you. It's a revolutionary way of life. And then, right next to the next line, philosophy. This is going to be Jesus' view on life. This is why we should go about this way of life. He says this, enter through the narrow gate. 
Why? For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. However, small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, what I want to do with the remainder of our time is I want to talk about how Jesus views life and his invitation for us to shift our philosophy on life. And really, what we're going to unpack, if you will, is God's philosophy for a flourishing life. A fundamental way, a shift from our current, you know, life's all about the journey, not the destination. This is going to be Jesus' redefinition and invitation into flourishing. And the first thing we see here. And how Jesus views life, one, is every road has a destination, doesn't it? Every road has a destination. Every journey takes you somewhere. As I already said earlier, you're headed somewhere either intentionally or accidentally. You're on a road, and you're moving, and you're going somewhere. You're like, no, no, I'm enjoying the journey. That's fantastic. But you, when you, you're enjoying the journey and the drive, it's taking you somewhere. You are on a particular path, going a particular way, with a particular destination. Every single human on the planet is headed somewhere. Andy Stanley, in his book, The Principle of the Path, says it this way. Direction, not intentions, hopes, dreams, prayers, beliefs, intellects, or education, determines destination. The direction that you're headed, we get this, you're on a road, it's going somewhere. The direction that you're headed determines your destination, not your intentions. I know it's tempting to believe that our good intentions, aspirations, and dreams somehow have the ability to do an end run around the decisions that we make on a daily basis. But at the end of the day, the principle of the path determines the outcome. Simply put, you and I will win or lose in the life in life by the paths we choose. And the question, the question you have to answer, the question you need to answer, what is the destination of the road you're currently on? Have you thought about that? For some, you've never thought that every road has a destination. You know that in driving, but you somehow missed that in your life. Have you thought about the destination of your current road that you're on, maybe relationally, maybe vocationally, how about spiritually? See, your decisions, not your intentions, direct your destination. Um, There's one author that says it this way, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. How are you spending your days determines how you spend your life. The first thing Jesus wants us to understand a new view is every road has a destination. The second is that there aren't multiple paths. There aren't just like a gazillion paths out there and you just choose and pick and choose. Jesus says there's actually only two roads in life. There's only two roads. He says there's a narrow road and there's a broad road. There's a, there's a narrow gate And there's a broad gate. There's a path, one singular path that leads to life. And there's the one singular path that leads to death. And there's some pseudo comfort that comes from the philosophy of enjoy the journey, you know, 
But don't worry about the destination. Life's all about the journey. Because you don't have to think about the destination. You don't have to wrestle. Am I on the right road? And yet, the reality is, is whatever road you're on is leading you somewhere. Is it headed towards life or not? Let me unpack for you the two roads in our current cultural um, construct. There's a fantastic podcast, and especially for those of you who like to dive deeper, it's called This Cultural Moment by John Mark Comer and Mark Sayers. They do a fantastic unpacking of this. In fact, uh, much of what I'm about to share comes from a particular podcast, uh, the, The Secular Salvation Schema. And so let me paint the two paths the path of life, and then what Jesus would say, the other path, the path of destruction. The path of life, we'll talk about the biblical salvation story. And it's really the arc and the narrative of God working in our human history to bring about restoration. And what does that look like? And, and the biblical salvation story goes like this, that there is a creation and, there, and with Eden. It's this whole idea in Genesis 1, in the beginning God created. Now think about this. If God created, this is so good, don't miss this because a lot of us missed out on this. If God created, that means you have a purpose. That means you have design. There's intentionality. He didn't make a mistake with you, friends. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And so there is a creator, and he made you, and he created you to be in a particular kind of environment in Eden when life was as it was meant to be. When you were in perfect relationship with one another, we were in perfect relationship with God, that there is this paradise, if you will, where, where you are, there's no evil, there's no pain, there's no cheating. It's where everyone does for one another, do unto the other what you would have them do to you. The problem is in Genesis chapter 3, the fall came. Instead of choosing God's path, humanity chose our own way, our own path, and said we want to do it our own way. And we fell away and headed down a path of destruction. Sin entered the world and brought about pain and heartache and shame and evil. And we live in a fallen world. This world right now is not the way God designed it. It has the elements of his goodness, but it is marred. And sin, uh, Chris in his new book does such a good job talking about sin and that it's not just something we do. It's a part of who we are. It's like a cancer. And so it's something we carry with us. And so we move from new creation or creation to the fall. And this is problem. And humanity has been working its way. All religion is working its way back to God, working its way back to God, and yet never quite able to get there. The gospel says God worked his way to you. This is salvation. This is redemption. John 3.16, for God so loved the whole world. Like that's his, his baseline standing with you is one of love. And in our broken, fallen, rebellious state, he says, I'm pursuing you. I want to redeem you. I want to save you. And we just have to recognize we've been on the wrong path, friends. We've been headed down the wrong way. And we cry out and say, save me. And he says, yeah, whoever calls upon my name shall be saved. That he came to die for us, to take our place for us. So he came to redeem and buy us back. This is the gospel. And it moves then to this final arc of new creation in the heavens. And 
that God is actively restoring all things into the rightful place in his original design. This is the ark. This is the story. This is the path to life. And yet there's another story at, uh, at going on in our world today. We'll call it the secular salvation story. It has the same offer of life. Both of these offer life in some way. And the secular salvation story starts not with creation or Eden, but it starts really with finding your true self, your inner child. That there was this moment of innocence when you were really you, unmarred by the tainting of the world. And if we move from creation to fall, the secular salvation story moves from the true self to trauma and commitments. That the fall is this trauma. Something happened in your life that robbed you of your innocence, that, that marred your true self. And that what is sin in our world today is any binding commitments. In fact, you hear people saying, I'm just stuck in this job. I'm stuck in my marriage. Any, any externally given identities placed upon you, don't tell me who I'm supposed to be. Sin is, any, is a low self-esteem unhappiness. It's the expectations put upon you. It's anything difficult. And so we're in this process of, okay, what do we do with this? How do we experience salvation? And culturally what we would say in this secular salvation story is we got to rediscover your true self. you got to rediscover your inner child. There's this level of centeredness. And so we hear people say this all the time, just... I just need to like stop everything. I need to, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving my job. I'm going to travel. I'm just going to go find myself. I feel like my inner child spoke for the very first time. Like, like that part of me that, that is like the true me, like it finally was there. I really need to discover myself. And heaven then is pleasure or happiness in life. And in our culture today, we've confused pleasure and happiness. They are not the same. Uh, in the book, The Hacking of the American Mind, the doctor here talks about the physiological differences between pleasure and happiness, that pleasure re releases endorphins where happiness releases serotonin. They accomplish very different things, and, and happiness is actually based on contentment and that all is well in life, where pleasure is always based on experiences and needing more, needing that next hit. You can think about it this way to help you understand, because we use those words so synonymously, you, we can wrestle with that. Think about it this way. You can experience pleasure and not be happy, can't you? And so they're not the same. And here's what we do, and there's some good truths in here of like, okay, I really need to unpack my past. That's not bad. I really need to kind of know who I am. That's not bad. But here's what we do. We... And try to import Jesus into the secular salvation story. Okay, Jesus exists for me to really be me. Jesus exists so that I can be my true self and I can rediscover. How are you going to rediscover yourselves? I just need a little bit of Jesus. And at the core of it, what we do is we say, you know what, Jesus, you exist to make me happy. And when that doesn't happen, it brings so much pain in our lives. 
And what we unconsciously do is we're asking Jesus to join us on our road of salvation. And this is not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus saying, come to my road. There is a way that brings life. And I know, I know you think there's lots of ways, but all those ways, it's just one way. And it leads to destruction. It leads to death. It leads to heartache. It leads to pain. Would you choose this way? Would you join my path. See, a new view to do life. Jesus would say, every road has a destination. There are only two roads, path of life, path of destruction. And so as a result, listen, friends, there is no middle road. There's no middle road. There's no like, okay, I just got, you know what? I I can get a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of this. I can get the American way and I can follow Jesus. And and what I want to do is I want to kind of make this like Frankenstein faith and just put everything together and I pick and choose this and I'm going to take this middle road because I like it better. And Jesus says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must help me out Yeah, not real popular to say out loud, is it? (laughs) Must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Notice, Jesus says, the flourishing life is found in dying to yourself, not finding yourself. Game changer. Some of you just need to write that down. I'll say it again because that was good. The flourishing life is found in dying to yourself, not finding yourself. And you are spending a tremendous amount of energy and effort trying to find yourself. And Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple, do you want to be my disciple? I am offering you life. Do you want to experience life? Well, you got to die to yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That's where true life is found. And by the way, how is finding yourself working out so far? You just look at the, the, the epidemic of depression, anxiety, and all the stuff that we have going on in our Western culture. And I just got to let you know, the solution is not inside of yourself. Stop contemplating your navel and hoping life will change. Fix your eyes on Jesus. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What good will it be for you to be upwardly mobile yet forfeit your soul? What good will it be for you to have like the American dream and the perfect house and the perfect family and all those sort of things and the chasing after success and you drive the Tesla, nothing wrong with that, you, whatever, you know, but you have all that, but you forfeited your soul. Well, what can anyone give in exchange for their souls? But you wrestle with that. There's no middle road. And yet, this is the path that many believers in America are taking presently. And so what does a middle road Christian look like? A middle road Christian looks like one who goes to church instead of being the church. A middle road Christian has this concept that there are um, two types of Christians. (laughs) 
let's say, uh, normal Christians, and then there's radical Christians, you know, like the pastors and the missionaries, like, whoa, you're sold out. Like, we even use that word, you're a sold out Christian. What does that even mean, sold out? I don't even know. Jesus had one designation, follower. Is it. Friends, if you just like began to think and realize he called you to be the light of the world, you're a difference maker. There aren't any like extravagant extra Christians, like I'm extra, whatever. No, no, no. You're a follower of Jesus made and designed to be the very church of God. Not just go to church and be a part of a club. What does middle of the road Christians look like? Middle of the road Christians give when it's convenient, but rarely when it's costly. Because convenience makes you feel good about yourself. Like, man, I got a little extra, and this guy seems to be in a hard time. Yeah, I can do that. But when it actually costs you time, when it actually costs you money, when it actually costs you uh, your energy and your resources, you're like, no, I'm good. I'm good. And so I'm just going to do the little bit that reinforces that I feel like I'm a good person, but I'm not actually going to sacrifice it all for the sake of Christ. Middle-of-the-road Christians choose their comfort over their calling. It's the American way of life. God exists to make me happy. Focus on playing it safe. Where we're more concerned with earthly things versus eternal things. Every single, every single one of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And there is an eternal destiny based on how we lived out this life here and now. And we will give a response for how we live this life. And, and, and what will be your response when Jesus asks you, when he asks me, what did you do with what I gave you? And what we say before him, man, I, I, I left it all on the field. I ran my race. I ran the race you marked out for me. Or I pulled back. God has a calling on your life, so big and so grand and so beautiful and so wonderful. (laughs) And yet, it will always require you to step beyond your comfort. Why? Because, as Nassim talked about last week, the righteous shall live by faith, and there is no faith where there is no risk. Middle-of-the-road Christians choose comfort. Over calling. Middle of the road Christians give lip service but not life service. We can come to church and we can sing the songs and we can, oh, that's all I got. But, and we say the prayers, but our hearts and our lives aren't His. Dallas Willard called them vampire Christians, those who wanted just a little bit of His blood, but not to give them His life. Middle-of-the-road Christians, the goal is happiness rather than holiness. Holiness has got a bad rap. We're going to talk about it in August, by the way. Because holiness, you think of like lame. The minute I said holiness, by the way, you're like, oh, that's such a lame life. Holiness just means to be set apart, like completely other. God's word says, in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. You want to be fully joy? Get holy. And we pursue our happiness with just shallow ends. 
God says, I have something so much deeper for you. A new view on life. Every road has a destination. There's only two roads in life. There is no middle road. And so, and so a new way to view life is simply this. Jesus is the gate to life, period. You, you, I know the period's in there. You have to say it out loud. Say it with me. You ready? Jesus is the gate that leads to life, period. Not a gate. He's not a nice idea. He is the gate that leads to life. Earlier said, enter through the narrow gate. That word enter is in the heiress active imperative, meaning that heiress tense is this punctiliar point in time that, that something happened at a point in time when you made a decision. Active, you made the decision. Imperative, Jesus is calling you to, as a command. He's saying there's a point in time where you said, I'm going to follow Jesus. No turning back. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And so I am placing my faith and trust in you. And you are my gate. Jesus would say it more emphatically in John chapter 10. He said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. However, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, don't miss this. Jesus connects entrance into life and the kingdom with a response to him. The question before you this morning, the question before us, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? As long as you're trying to fit Jesus in as a part of your life, it will never fit. But when you say, Jesus, I need you to be my life, he says, that's where life begins. If Jesus was here today, he might restate our popular life is all about the journey this way. He would say, life is all about the journey to the destination. It's both. It's both how you live your life, the path, the golden rule, and how you view your life, that there is a narrow gate. And this morning, there's two paths before you. You may only take one path. And at some point, you must decide which path. And for some this morning, your decision in this moment is you are deciding, I am choosing the path of Jesus. I have been choosing the path of destruction. I've been going down that road, and it's not been working out. I've been living the secular salvation story, and I can't do it anymore. Jesus, today, would you come and be my Savior and Lord? Come, I want to walk in your ways. And you step onto the path of life. Uh, recently, I was uh, in South Africa for a buddy's 50th birthday. And I, I got to preach at a church. It's amazing. Hi to our friends in South Africa who are watching us online right now. It's cool. People over there watch us. Um, 
and I got to preach at the church, but then we're doing, the reason we're there is we're doing this three-day stage bike race. And uh, it's a long bike race, and I have more stories to that in three more weeks as I fell off the bike and got hurt, yada, yada, yada. On the first day of riding, uh, we're all together, and as we're riding, um, I see that we finally had a nice, smooth, uphill climb, and we had, and this is mountain bike riding, and we had this descent, and you could see this mountain in front of us, and so I was like, you know what, I'm going to bust it and get maximum speed down this hill, so I hit that hill at top speed. And I was just like, all right. So I broke away from our pack, and I just started cranking down this hill. I, you know, hit the bottom as fast as I possibly could go, which isn't that fast, but fast for me. And then I hit up the top, and I'm just going, 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 and then I'm cranking. And then, you know, you kind of get to the point where you're slow, your speed slowed down, and I hear, Ryan. I'm like, no, man, I'm going fast. You don't, don't mess with me. Ryan. And I turn around, and my crew's at the bottom of the hill. You missed the road. See, there was these little pink markers all along to show us where we're supposed to go. And, you know, otherwise we would get like this mountain biking, back terrain, all this sort of stuff. And I was so focused on the mountain in front of me that I just began to fly down the hill. And I just, I totally missed it. And I just was screaming up this mountain hill. And they're at the bottom, Ryan. Now, here's what I didn't say. I stopped, and I didn't, you know what I didn't say? I didn't turn around and go, John, stop judging me. (laughs) And anytime someone gives any input on the path we're on, that's our natural response. You know what I did say? Oh, my gosh, thank you. We're in the backcountry, South Africa. There's like wild animals. It's freaky to me. I don't want to be on the wrong path. This is a big, broad path. There was this little narrow path. Hello. Goes with the talk. I'm like, this one's literally to destruction. I die by myself, and I miss out on the path that literally leads to life or to camping with 100 and 200 other men. Um, Now, listen. It was an accident. I wasn't there intentionally. I was actually trying to do my best. And I needed someone to speak in and say, you missed it. And for some, that's where you're at. You've been trying to do your best, let's be honest. You're not intentionally like, I'm on the path of destruction. (laughs) Maybe you are, I don't know. Maybe you are. That'd be weird, though. But you actually are trying hard at life, aren't you? And you're doing the best with the information given you and what you see ahead, and you're really working hard. And this morning is I just get to be John, who was my buddy, calling out to me, calling out to you, hey, don't miss this marker. This is the path that leads to life. C.S. Lewis says it this way. We all want progress, but progress means getting nearer to the place where you want to be. And if you've taken the wrong turning, then to go forward does not get you any nearer. If you are on the wrong road, progress, I said progress because he is British, Uh, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. In that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive man. 
There is nothing progressive about being pig-headed and refusing to admit a mistake. And I think if you look at the present state of the world, it's pretty plain that humanity has been making some big mistakes. We are on the wrong road. And if that is so, we must go back, for going back is the quickest way on. Would you stand with me and we'll close? I want to invite you as this time of worship. I want to invite you to communion. As a visible symbol of your declaration of Jesus, you are the gate. You are my road. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And for some, for the very first time, it is your declaration. The elements represent his body broken for you and his blood poured out for you. That he sacrificed it all that we might have his life and be part of the kingdom of God. Jesus, thank you for this time together. I pray for my friends in this moment. I pray that you would meet them significantly, that you would draw them to yourselves, that we would move to you. We'd be a people that follow you all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.